Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio. How are you going today? Doing really well, Robbie. How are you? I'm exhausted, but I'm good. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually a little bit tired as well. I told Robbie just before the show, I bit off more than I could chew this week. You know, there's a solution to that, and it's not yeah. dentures. Don't stress. It's, it's it's use a knife and a fork and make smaller bites. You can break it down into more easily consumable ah, portions. Chunking. Oh, I like it. <laughs> you know what that is? That's oh. actually really good advice that I should take. <laughs> this is really good. I think. Uh, yeah, that's great. Because if you think about it like this, like like, like truthfully, truthfully, mm. you can eat a lot of stuff if you break it down into smaller parts. You might even, you know, eat them over multiple meals. Well, it's done. There's a lot of oh. there's a lot of really deep helpful planning stuff in here that I should take on board. <laughs> if <laughs> you can relate to that, you just let us know. Let us yeah, know. Yeah, but Ruby, it kind of sounds like putting everything in a blender and then just having it as a smoothie. That's what I had for breakfast I anyway. Don't, I don't know what you're like, about. I don't want my pizza in a blender. Hey, hey. I'm just saying. Hey, don't judge me. Don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, if it saves time, it saves time, I guess. Yeah, sometimes. You know... You, I could say lots about that, but no, my brain's not working properly okay. enough to process it. So anyway, we are super excited to have you with us today. Very excited. We, um, we are going to have a great show for you today. We are looking today at the continuing story. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, if you had a Bible open last time and we were looking at the Ten Commandments, which we finished off last week, that uh, we've got a lot of heavy reading coming ahead, but we're actually going to skip ahead to some more narrative. So Long story short, we're going to talk to you a little bit about what's happening in between then, but today we're going to be jumping forward to an interesting story that happens in Exodus chapter 32, and uh, I'm going to leave you hanging on what that is about, but it involves some pretty hectic emotions, let's put it that way. And Ooh, Very exciting things. Oh, it's going to be good. Yeah. If, you want, yeah. if you want to see Moses, this like full spectrum, different kinds of emotions, this is the story. So you want to hang out and find out about it because Moses was a man just like me and just like you, a human being with lots of faults. But today, before we get into that, we're also going to have a testimony time today. We're going to have our show going kind of like normal, but we have something new and exciting for you today, and that's that we are giving away a book, but we're going to do it in a very different way. Yeah, we're going to do it a different way. We want the first and third caller, not just the first Ooh. two callers. Ooh, the first and, and the third, third caller. caller. Yeah, we need to unlucky call Unlucky number two. Unlu- I don't know why, we're, but they're unlucky today. But first and third, if you call in, we have a, a secret code word that we're going to drop somewhere during our Bible study. And if you hear that word, we want you to call in straight away. And that book is yours. That's right. Huh. So when you hear the code word today, you get to be that caller and the golden... Word of the day is calf. Is that what I was supposed to say? No. no. I did it wrong. Never mind. That's I take okay. it back. I take it back. We're learning how to do something new. Anyway, stick around. This is Paul Brandt, The Old Rugged Cross. On a hill far away Stood in rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain 
So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies and last I lay down. I will claim. Exchange it someday for a crown. To the old rugged cross, I will ever be true. It's shame. Gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away, where his glory for ever I'll share. So I'll cherish the. You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio, and it has come that time of the show where we talk about what a weird and, and wonderful, wonderful world, world that God has made. Hmm. And uh, in just just one more weird fact before I sh- Tash shares some weird facts is yeah. I had no idea how we're doing this code word. I oh, thought yes, I understood, but I didn't sure. understand. So the code word is not golden calf. Um, we're going to tell it to you later, I've been dis- I've been told. I have been instructed yes. that that's how it works. So later in the show, you got to keep listening because we're going to drop that at some point during yeah. the show, and we're going to tell you what the code word is, and then you're going to call in what? to tell the, us what tell the, us what that the you heard the code is. word, and then the first and third caller who can do that are going to get the free copy of the book. But what's the book that they're going to get today? They're going to get a book called Caveman Theology. Caveman Theology. I yeah. am so excited. It I'm sounds super so intrigued. interesting. It's got to be dealing with Hebrew because Hebrew is like a caveman language. No, it's dealing with Isaiah. Isaiah? Yeah. Ooh. So it's uh, Isaiah's visions and his life. And and um, the author is uh, a man by the name of Doug Batchelor. And so he draws on Isaiah's life experience and his life experience. So it's, yeah. Love it. Awesome. I, yeah. Sounds I, great. I thought it was something from I'm going to be listening well, for that code word, and I might call in 
myself. But how do we call in, Robbie? What's the number? The number is 0491-064-669. That number again is 0491-064-669. So hold on to your hats and glasses because that's coming some point that's undisclosed in the show. So make sure you stick around. Mm. All right. So what fun facts do you have for us today? Okay. So this fun fact I have <laughs> is... She looks as, very excited. As you know, no, it's not actually... I think it's interesting. As, as you know, I like to go for walks, and I live very close long to... Long ones, on the beach. At the moment, not on yeah. the beach, <laughs> but long, maybe an hour, I like to go for, for a walk, and I take my house Within five door. kilometers of your LGA. It's definitely within, within the five kilometers. Of your house, within your LGA. Within my right. house, within my LGA, yeah. just doing the right you, things. You like We're doing the right things, and I love walks, and um, there's... This drive that I go down, which is called College Drive, for some of you know, um, Avondale College, which is now Avondale University, um, they have this line of trees on the way to the to the main buildings, and all throughout the year you'll see like the seasons change. So you see like autumn, like the leaves start to fall, and right now they're starting to bloom. So they've been bare for the whole of winter, and I've, oh, it's just been beautiful. And I was walking down one day with my housemate's dog. He's quite a big dog. And um, I had a, I was just looking at these beautiful flowers, taking Woof. photos. He's huge. He's all like, anyway, <laughs> I'll, I'll have another fun fact for him another, another day. Um, but he, but the, the gentleman that I saw, he's, who saw me taking the photos of the, of the, the, the trees in bloom, he said to me, do you know what that tree is called? And I said, no, I don't know what this tree is called. It's a tree. He's like, it's called a Manchurian pear. I went, oh, <laughs> nice. Nice. And I walked away thinking, but this tree never has any pears. I was like, why do they call it a Manchurian pear? Okay. And it doesn't Ooh. have pears. So that's our fun fact for today. I mean, that's our weird and wonderful fact is that there's actually a thing called misnomers. Do you know what that is? Oh, a misnomer. I do know what that you do is. Know what? I didn't know that there's a, yeah, there's a actual term, which is misnomer. And it describes words. when it's a wrong or an inaccurate name of a designation. Or a wrong or inaccurate use of a name or term. Ooh, I okay. love it. So, so you've got a tree, a tree that's a called tree that's called a, a pear tree, pear. but it doesn't bear it doesn't, pears. Yeah, it has no pears. Bear pears. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's a double pear. I'm pretty tired. That was a heavy pear. <laughs> can you tell? I can tell. I can't tell. Okay, and morning sickness. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Why is that not? I don't know. I just threw it. Threw it. No, because it doesn't. If you check with most pregnant women, are sick. Any time of the day, it doesn't just happen in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Shell's nodding. She's she's born children before. Yes. Yep. That's <laughs> they weren't bearing pears either. Shell, she didn't bear pears she's either. The she only one she in bore this, children. In this station that's born children. Yeah. So she knows. Okay. This isn't. This one's this like obvious. Ooh. Uh, well, give us some more misnomers. I'm loving this. Jellyfish and starfish. That's right, because starfish are not fish at all. They're actually echinoderms. Yeah. They are. That's right. Oh wow! Boom! You took my fun fact. <laughs> no, I, I was. We were joining it together. <laughs> joining what was the together. other one? Jellyfish. Jellyfish. Jellyfish aren't fish either. Yeah, they're definitely not fish. Not fish. Yeah, because okay. a fish has gills. Yeah, has gills, and scales, and things, and it, and peanuts. Peanuts. They're not actually nuts. That's a great one because they're, they're legumes. Did you know that legumes? They are like more. They're more like a pea or than a they are or a bean than they are. A yeah, nut. yeah. Both of those. That's yeah. right. Oh, this is fun. Yeah. This I don't is... know if you're enjoying this out there, but I am thoroughly, thoroughly amused because this this is the kind of thing that this is the kind of that thing I really, that enjoy. I really enjoy. Do you, you know what? One one other thing that I really enjoy on this grammatical topic is I like being a little bit of a grammar Nazi. I've done it since I was a kid, mm -hmm. and uh, just this week somebody caught up caught me out 
because we're doing a an evangelistic series, you might call it, an outreach program called Hope in Troubled Times. And you can check that out, by the way, at facebook.com slash NSW. You can find that out. I might ask Shell if we can put a flyer out on Faith FM so you can check it out because we're going to be doing that starting tomorrow night, 6.30 p.m. But the reason I was saying it is because I missed a word in one of the descriptions on the flyer. It was supposed to say for something, and it just had... It, it, the, the word for fell out of the paragraph and somebody caught me out on a spelling and grammar mistake. And I was like, yes, yes. You would think I would be like, no, and embarrassed. But I was like, fantastic. Somebody else There's is as sick as else. me. Someone is as sick as me and enjoys this. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love it. There are lots of misnomers out there. There's a, there's a lot. I have oh, one more. Killer whale. Killer whale. They're not whales. They're not whales. That's right. Yeah. They're more closely related to porpoises. This yeah. is CC Winans. Why me? Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you showed?
Welcome to Real Faith. This is Robbie and who are you? I'm Sam. Awesome. So this come this time of our show. <laughs> uh, sorry. I'm here. <laughs> it has come that time of our show where we hear a real life story from somebody today and something that Jesus has done or is doing in their life. So this is our testify segment where where the rubber hits the road and we hear about what God is doing in real people's lives today. So today we have our friend. His name is Jacob Ellis. Awesome. Are you yeah. there with hey, us, Jacob? God. Hey, how are you guys? Oh, good, Jacob. How you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Excellent. Oh, that's good. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, yeah, just who you are? Yeah, so obviously my name's Jacob. Uh, I currently live in Kurumbong, New South Wales. I, I am uh, studying at Avondale University. I'm a third-year ministry and theology student. Um, I originally lived in uh, South Australia. That's where I've come from, in the country town, Mount Gambier. So, There's a lot yeah. of good rock climbing out there. There is. There <laughs> but, is. But you can't get there at the moment. <laughs> but that's yeah, all right. let's not go there. Let's, let's not, not talk go about there. that. <laughs> Instead, let's change gears, and we would love to hear your story today. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I was just thinking, actually, the, how I got to Avondale, because obviously being a third-year student, it is a four-year degree, so getting towards the end of it, I was thinking how everything I was thinking about when I was about to start. And one of the struggles I had um, when coming to Avondale was, because uh, I've got no, pretty much no family up here and I don't really know anyone, it was how am I going, where am I going to live? How am I going to afford to live? Um, so there was just a whole lot of questions um, being up because I, I knew I was being called up here and I didn't want to do distance learning. Um, so the plan was to come up. I was I booked in to stay in at the on campus at Avondale, um, but there was one problem and it was how am I going to afford it because um, I knew I would be struggling in the long term to afford it and I also knew that my parents, we were one part of a big family. I've got, I'm the oldest of five kids. Um, so there was a lot of, I knew that my parents could help, but it would be kind of a burden sort of thing. So well, I had to stay on at Avondale campus. Um, and the way it worked is you had to pay lump sums um, to ensure that you're paying your fees on time that you can pay all your fees. Um, but my prayer was, God, how am I going to do this? Because I couldn't see into the future. Like, I didn't see how this – this may have worked in the short term, but I didn't know how it was going to work in the long term. Um, and obviously, I had no work either, so that was playing on my mind a bit also. And I guess it was just – I was a bit, it was the day before I was ready to make that first um, first payment – and I get a phone call from someone in our church, a church friend, and he said, look, I've got some family who lives in Toronto, which is 20, about 20 minutes away from Kurumong. And he was just having a conversation one day and saying how there was a ministry student who was going to go to, or someone who was going to study ministry. And um, out of the blue, they just said, look, we'll have him. No, don't, there's no, no questions asked. We'll have him. Um, and this happened the day before I was meant to pay the the payment to Avondale. And so I guess on the day I was meant to pay Avondale, I was writing to them saying exactly why I wasn't going to be paying them because there was something, another arrangement had um, come up. 
which was absolutely um, brilliant. So that, that, that was just God knowing my situation, um, God care, caring about the situation. And even though it did happen at the very last second, he still um, provided. So, yeah. That's awesome, man. That's so beautiful. I love that. Like, I can relate to that. There are so many times in my life where it seems that God has come in and like, I don't know what they called it, the 11th hour? Is that what they call it? You know, the last yeah. moment, the last minute, the last, it seems like the last play of the game. And he comes in and, and he does his stuff right there at the end. But it's beautiful because yeah. God is faithful even in the in the difficulties, even when it doesn't it doesn't come right away. And I think sometimes that's that's one of those exercises of growing faith, isn't it? Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, another positive point also, and I guess this is a story for another time, is just a couple of weeks later there was that work element um, and how how that work, how I was able to get work is quite incredible also. So there, there's that double blessing, if you, if you want to call it that. Um, there was the, okay, you've got somewhere to stay, but let me also provide work for you so you can help with your um, financial situation. So definitely praising God for that. Amen, man. That's so cool. So is it, just in closing, is there anything that you'd like to say to our listeners? Keep, uh, keep patient, wait on God, um, because he will come through. I love it. I love it. Faith is a, faith is a, is a long-term game, man. It's not just a short-term game. And God will get That's you it. through. He'll get you what you need. That's- it may not come through in the time that you think you need it, but in the time that you do need it. That's often when God pulls it through and gets it right through. And those are the experiences that give us often the greatest stories to look back on to strengthen and encourage our faith. Thanks so much, Jacob. May God bless you in your continued study. It's been great to have you. thing is this, that a virgin shall conceive. As the angel spoke these words, must have been hard to believe Though she humbled to the task Though the whispers must have stung She counted it a privilege And through Mary it's begun It's the least that I can do For the most that that you have done And in your time of need How could I turn and run For all you've given us From the manger to the tomb It's the least that I can do For all that you have done Standing neath the cross, she fixed her eyes on him. A multitude of memories surely made again. Did she think of manger scenes or angel lullabies? And from the cross he mentions her She'll stay with him as he dies It's the least that I can do For the most that you have done 
turn and run for all you've given us from the manger to the tomb it's the least that I can do for all that you have done it's the least that I can do that you have done and in your time of need how could I turn and run for all you've given us from the manger to the tomb it's the least that I can do for all that you've Chapo and we are the hosts of The Marriage Project. We have a lot of fun on The Marriage Project where we talk about biblical wisdom for marriage, how it translates into real life, and we want to be with you building stronger marriages. So you can join us every Friday afternoon at 3.30pm right here on Faith FM. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Like a river flowing down to the sea Like a rushing wind you flow into me Like the falling of the snow Like the blood that makes me whole Is the love of God that flows into me Like a river flowing down to the sea Like a rushing wind you flow into me Like the falling of the snow Like the blood that makes me whole Is the love of God that flows into me And like a river you come flooding through The desert of my heart And like the wind you come rushing Blowing life through every part And like the snow you're falling on me With the blood of your own son And like the sun you come shining, making darkness run. Just like a river flowing down to the sea. Like a rushing wind you flow into me. Like 
Like the falling of the snow Like the blood that makes me whole Is the love of God that flows into me And like a river you come pouring out Your love upon the field And like the wind you bring the harvest Down to take your yield And like the snow you come to winter Touching hearts and making warm And like the sun you raise the mighty light to calm the storm Just like a river flowing down to the sea Like a rushing wind you flow into me Like the falling of the snow like the blood that makes me whole Is the love of God that flows into me Is the love of God that flows into me You are listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. That was Dennis Jernigan, Like a River. And uh, we are doing a couple of things. We're trying to get our heads kind of like on straight here yeah. with figuring out how to do new stuff. And the reason is it's just new things are hard. Let's just be honest. And we've kind of been stuck inside yeah, our houses for the of, last X amount of yeah. months. And we're fumbling. new things are difficult, you know? Yeah. Like I haven't done a lot of new things recently. So new things. Yeah. You got to hang out. Keep keep holding on. We're going to give you that code word at some point during the show. And the first and the third caller in today, yeah. when you hear that code word, you get on those phones, you ring in. And if you're the first and the third caller, you're going to get a free copy of this book. Caveman Theology. And it's a book about Isaiah and uh, the author, Doug Batchelor, his experience while he was living in a cave. Yeah, so check yeah. this out. I actually... I actually, a friend of mine was a pastor who worked with this guy. Yeah. And uh, he, yeah, he was from California. Woo, woo. And he was living in a cave, and that's how he found Jesus, studying a Ooh. Bible in a cave. Like, you got to check. It is an awesome, awesome story. Plus, the guy's got a sweet mustache, so you want to check it out. It is pretty, yeah. <laughs> so you can do that by calling this number. 0491-064-669. And if that was too fast for you, she's going to say it again a little bit slower. That's 0491-064-669. Awesome. Ben, don't forget, this does not cancel out our question, question of the of week. The week. Yeah. So if you'd like to get in with any questions, we love hearing from you. It's, in fact, probably my favorite part of the whole show is uh, being able to answer questions that you have about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, about Christianity, about ministry, about you name it. We love to talk yeah. about it with you. Throw us the big, hairy theological questions that that panic us, and the ones that are more practical and 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 relative to uh, regular, normal Christian living. And uh, we love to talk about them all. So you can call with those in with the same number. That's zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. Again, that's zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. So hang on for those code words and let us know your questions. Mm. All right. Well, we are continuing our story in Exodus. And today we are in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Old Testament, if you're following along. We are in chapter 32. Now, 
in between what we did last week and this chapter, there's a number of things that took place. Basically, Moses is up on the mountain of God, Horeb or Mount Sinai, as it's called, either of those two names. And after God speaks the Ten Commandments, Moses goes up and is instructed. And for 40 days, he's on the mountain and God is instructing him. Right? So all of this interesting stuff, I'm pretty sure that's... I'm pretty sure that's right. Is yeah, that right? okay. No, that's, that's exactly right. So it's forty okay. <laughs> days. Yeah, he doesn't just go up and then come back I was with the ten commandments. There. Yeah, he goes up and he stays there for forty days while God gives him these instructions. So that's the chapters from twenty-one right through to thirty-one, and so we find ourselves here at thirty-two. Awesome. Yeah. And so you can read about that. That gives the instructions on how they built the sanctuary, which is fascinating. But it's a little bit hard to do for us on radio. Not necessarily the easiest thing to explain without pictures, um, so we're going to leave that leave that we'll one leave to that, you to read, yeah. and we're going to jump back into the narrative in chapter thirty-two, and it starts like this. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, "Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt." We do not know what has become of him. Okay, pause there. Hold on a second. But just, just what's going yeah. on here? Hold on a moment. Okay, like as we said just before we read, he Moses has been up there for forty days, so they're starting to wonder. Well, actually, they're doing more than starting to wonder because it, it's kind of like they were doing this before. They started to complain a little bit, like, "Oh, he's taking so long." Oh. Yeah, where, where's Moses? That's what it sounds like to me. Like, yeah. he's been gone. Like, what could we be doing up there? Like, surely he'd be down here by now. Yeah, and by the way, just just to put it into perspective, sometimes, like, I, I think if we get more than, like, 14 days, we don't really know what that means. 40 days is six weeks. Yeah. Right, that's a month and a and half. A, and a, yeah. Okay? So imagine yeah. you've been led out into the wilderness by God. They say it's by Moses, but, you know, through the hand of Moses. Yeah. And it's been anywhere up to six weeks, right? Probably not quite six weeks, but close to it at this point in the story, most likely. And to be fair, you might be like, man, what's going on? How long is this going to happen? But there was the cloud up on the mountain. There was kind of like, there were some pretty amazing demonstrations that God had given. And one thing I just want to point out here that I think is, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, but they say, notice this, they're like, hey, come make us gods. And the whole idea of that, especially after they've heard the voice of God tell them the Ten Commandments, right? The Decalogue, who says, I'm the one who saved you. I brought you out. This is what your life now can look like. And in that, the first thing that he says is, have no other gods before me. And also, specifically, don't make any graven images to bow down to them. And specifically, that's exactly what they're asking Aaron to do. They're like, hey, hey, make us gods. Now, point number one, you can't make a god because by definition – the God is greater than you. He's supernatural, above the natural world. So by definition, this is an impossibility. They know that you cannot make a God. So what they're doing is not only directly against what God has just brought them into this freedom that they're supposed to experience, but it doesn't even make logical sense. Yeah. But this is the culture that they were around. This is the culture that they are, they're a part of all the time. And so this is the background that they're coming out of. And remember also, there was a great multitude of people who came out of Egypt too. And this whole... This whole thing was new to everybody in the sense that it was certainly new to these Egyptians, the mixed multitude that came out, brand new to them. But it was also new in the sense that these people had been enslaved 
by these other systems. And I love this. A friend of mine, Dan Christie, who is a, a lovely pastor up at Toowoomba at the moment, he said this to me once, and he said, he said, God had brought them out of Egypt. Now he needed to bring Egypt out of them. Mm. And that's what the Ten Commandments is all oh, about, right? Yeah. Bringing Egypt out of their thinking. But here we can see Egypt is still alive and well in their hearts. Mm. All right. Sorry. I've, I've preached a sermon on the first verse, so <laughs> we're not okay. going to get through anything if we keep doing that. So let's keep reading. Yeah, Robbie, we have 38 verses. <laughs> but even even then, in, in such a short amount of time, they've just gone back. You know, They've just... What is what is the word like? Backslidden. Backslidden, yeah. Slid back it's, down the hill to where they were before. Yeah, such a short amount of time. It's relatable, isn't it? It's totally relatable. Very unfortunate. It's yeah. relatable. Oh. Verse so, 2. Verse 2. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Keep reading. Oh, I just I wanted to stop. Go, oh, stop, stop and make a comment. Go, do it. Well, only because gold, it. gold, it takes for it, for you, in order for you to mold it or to make it into something, it has to be a certain temperature. It's like, it's very, very, very hot. So for him to take all the earrings and then He's gonna spend time fashioning it into this golden calf. So it's not just he he like put it all together and then ah oh, there came the calf. No, he sat there with in the fire making this calf, make, mm. making sure that it was all the different parts that had come to all the different parts of gold because they would have been different um uh sorts of like purities, you know. Yeah. To make sure five carat, ten yeah, carat, five carat, like yeah. they're all different, right? all, all different. So they had to make sure that it would all come together to make this calf. There's oh, there is so much that could be said here. Point number one, man, like yeah. who's who's left in charge when Moses goes up on the mountain? It's well, he's like, oh, this is my brother, Aaron. Yeah, That's Aaron. It. There's no, there's no question. Yeah, Aaron's in charge. That's why they come to Aaron. Yeah, they come to Aaron. You're the leader. You're the person who's the spokesman for Moses, and you would think. You would think that after all the things that he had seen, that Aaron would have had a greater faith in God than to do this, right? And it just there's so many things that we could highlight out of this. This is this is bad leadership, bad spiritual leadership. Now we, I'm not saying this to be like oh bad bad juju on Aaron. He's such a terrible person because this is really relatable. Because the thing that that, that is happening here with Aaron is Aaron does not have enough confidence and faith in what God has told him to do and set him apart to do, he cares too much about what the people think. Mm. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that more than I'd like to. And I think it's really challenging when we think about this. you got to remember, too, Aaron, he had seen them about ready to stone Moses over issues before. Aaron perhaps wasn't at the level where maybe he was ready to do this on his own feet. Maybe the issue is that he wasn't really in a space where he was bringing it to God. We see nowhere in this story where Aaron's like, hang on, let me let me go speak to God about this. Yeah. Let me go intercede. And you know, one thing that's an interesting thought is perhaps his relationship with God was too dependent on Moses and not dependent enough on his own connection to the maker. And I think that that's an important lesson for all of us, especially if you're in a position of spiritual leadership. You cannot rely on someone else for your spiritual connection. This is Fernando Ortega, Our Great God. 
You're listening to Oh go Go You're listening to Real Faith With Robbie and Tesh Robbie, that was I was going to say Tesh and Robbie Just to make it Oh you could have done it You could have nah. done it Next time Not next yet time. <laughs> On Faith FM We are in the middle Of our Bible study We're in Exodus chapter 32 But before we get back Into that We just want to encourage you That to, to keep your ears Perked up Because at some point In this Bible study We're going to give you A code word mm-hmm. And we're not telling you What it is yet Because I now know How it works I've got a little bit Of energy happening In my brain now That I figured it out And when you hear That code word you got to call in, give us the code word, and the first and the third caller are going to receive a free copy of a book called Caveman's Theology, and it's a book about Isaiah and and uh, his visions and a man who spent time in a cave and reading the books yeah, of Isaiah, reading the books of Isaiah, and how he came to know Jesus and yeah. surrender his life, and then went on Oof. to be a big time evangelist, really, yeah. um, with a great big media evangelism thing, leading people to Jesus all the time. It's awesome. Yeah. It's really how, cool. how he came to know Jesus. So you can call in with that. Also, please call in with your questions and uh, your comments on the Bible study today or anything else that you'd like to know more about from Scripture. Um, we would love to hear from you. You can do that by calling. 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So, man, we had so many more discussion topics to talk about, points to make on Aaron while we were in here. I just want to make one before we, before we go on because I think okay. it's really valuable. Um, you made a great point, Tash, that for him to go about crafting this golden calf was not a, a, a quick decision. So he had to think about it this way. He says, okay, okay, I'll do what you say. Point number one, gather all of your jewelry and bring it to me. So not everybody was clear that you don't have like, you don't have 1.5 million odd people all there talking to you at the one time, probably like, so they went back and collected all of that they had to gather it they've got that's a lot of jewelry probably they're bringing it they bring it to them then they've got to melt it down they got to get a fire that's hot enough they got to get the wood for that fire they got to build the fire it's by hand they don't have an an oven right they they got to do all that then they got to put the gold in then they got to melt it down then they got to shape it then he's got to craft it then he's got to do all that at any point in this in this this process processes. of compromise he could have chosen to say no, and respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, this is sin. We just agreed that we would not do this, to know that I'm in charge. He could have known at any point in there, he could have heard the Holy Spirit saying, don't do this, which of course he would have known. Like he's literally just heard the, the God speak from the mountain, the Ten Commandments, which says, don't do this exact thing. And yet he refuses to yield to the Holy Spirit, and instead he yields to the pressure of the people now you can you can you can change your mind at any point in that process of compromise as you're convicted by the spirit but he refuses and the longer you go down the road of compromise the harder it is to turn around because it takes courage and it takes humility and it takes willpower and it's going to have consequences. Mm. And now he's bought in. He's in deep and he does not walk away from it. So pull out early is the point when you know you're doing something wrong refuse it. Stand up to the peer pressure. Do what you believe to be right. I love that. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, that's such a real-life application for us in that it is sometimes hard to stand up to st- certain struggles and certain things. But if you're constantly not standing up for it, it is going to – yeah, it's this compromise. And you and a lot of the time you know. You, know, you, you can hear the Holy Spirit is telling you, and you, you can – yeah, you know. But And this is where we find ourselves with Aaron. So um, we'll pick it up at verse, verse 5. Yeah, verse five. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. 
And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And Ooh. Well, we're going to make some comments a little bit later about there's, there's, the, there's the, the PG-rated version of this, and then there's the insinuation that's definitely not PG-rated oh. um, in what this means. Ooh. So just keep that in mind okay. as we talk about this a little bit. Um, Is that the code word? No, that is definitely okay, not the code word. Um, just just n- notice something really interesting the, uh, on yeah. that point of compromise. Notice it says when Aaron saw the thing, right? It was the work of his own hands. When he saw what happened, he, he's, it's not like it all oh, instantaneously he just went in his tent and here he comes and there it was. No, there was a process involved. He was involved in that process. And at the end of that process, not only does he say, here you go. He says, okay, now we're going to go and take this uh, – build. Not, not take an altar. We're going to have to make an altar for it as well. We're going to build an altar. God had already given them instructions, by the way, about how to build build altars and how not to build altars to him. And then they go on and he says, not only that, proclaim to everybody, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Right? Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. We're going to feast tomorrow. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a religious festival, and we're going to do that. And so they rose up early the next day. They offered burnt offerings, peace offerings. They might have done that to the you know, to to Jehovah or Yahweh, the Lord, right? Like how we transliterate that word. They they could have very well been saying, this is to Yahweh, the God who saved us. Here is his image. But they were not doing it the way that God had instructed. Mm. And when it says they rose up to play, this has very euphemistic insinuations that what they were doing was immoral in more than one way. Mm. All right, let's continue reading. Okay. We're going to defend that in a moment. So we're in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make you a great make of you a great nation. But then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, and he said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath, and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants and the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. All right, so there's so much going on in this. What's happening here? What's happening here? Ooh. Just the, the quick, the quick, like, summary. God gets angry. He's like, because <laughs> he can see. He can see what's going on down there. He's, this, he's still on the top of the mountain communing with, with Moses, but he can see that everything that they had told him to do, everything that they just said in the Ten Commandments is the total opposite. Mm. They're completely going against everything that he's told him, who he's asked them to do. Told them to do? Asked yeah. them to do. Yeah. Both. Both. Yes. <laughs> Word it however you want. Whatever makes you comfortable. But the reality is both. Both. Okay. okay. Think. Think about this. This is really interesting. There's. There's kind of a funny play. Like mm. when you think about parents, when, when a child does something wrong, it, it, I, I remember I would get in trouble as a kid, as all kids do at times. <laughs> and I remember things like, "Look what your son did today." 
You kind of got to ask the question, hang on a second. What do you mean your son? I'm, isn't it our son? Look what our son. <laughs> and the insinuation <laughs> there is you led them to do this. <laughs> yeah. Right? And it's really interesting. Look what God says. He doesn't say, go, get down for my people whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, which is the right and true way to say that in my mind. Because truly, it's not Moses who did that. God did it. He used Moses, but he called Moses to do it. He did it through Moses. It was Moses is the vessel. He's not the he's not the person. But it's really interesting that God says, "Your people," and there's there's so much interesting significance to this, because notice how Moses responds. Moses has not participated in the evil. Point number one. Moses did not support the evil. Point number two. Moses did not bend over backwards to the will of the people. Point number three. Moses continued to be faithful as a leader and came and spoke to God when he had a trouble where the people were about ready to kill him. He came to God and spoke to God. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And he did not yield to the will of the people, which was against the will of God. But notice, when God says, your people, Moses doesn't turn around and say, what you mean, my people? Right? He's not like, hang on a second, these are your people, and, and just shift the blame. Notice, this is hugely, hugely powerful. The difference between Aaron's leadership and Moses' leadership is insanely huge. Check this out. Moses pleads with the Lord. Moses pleads with the Lord. Look, God says to him, check this out. He says, I have seen this people in their stiff-necked. Let me alone, that my wrath may consume them. I will make of you a great nation. Moses has been given an opportunity, perhaps you might even call it a test. God says to him, God says to him, look, we're going to just wipe the, the, the slate clean, and I'm going to make your children alone the nation, right? That would have fulfilled the promise. That would have fulfilled the promise to Abraham. He's, an, he's a descendant of Abraham. Jesus could have still come through the lineage of Abraham. Check this out, though. How does Moses respond to this? And by the way, this is not saying that God is like, Oh, he's just like an angry tyrant, and he just flipped his lid, and he doesn't know what he's doing. No, look, no, God is calculated, and his anger is not losing control. His anger is right. It's an appropriate response to what's going on here. It's not that he's lost control, and he got angry, and now he said something he didn't mean to say. There's intention with this. And notice what Moses responds with. This is such a test of Moses' character, of Moses' leadership ability. Check this out. Moses turns around, and he says, it says he pleads with him, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? He doesn't acknowledge and say, it's me. I brought them out. Yeah, they're a problem. Look at me. Make my descendants great. Get rid of them. That's not what Moses says, and he could have. He could have said, yeah, you're right. These people, ah, they're not my people either, right? But notice what he says. No, 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 Lord, they're your people. They're your people. They have failed. They have struggled, but they are your people. And he goes on to say, he says, why should the Egyptians say all of this stuff? He says, your name's going to be spoken of poorly. Look, remember your covenant. Remember your servants. And he steps up for the sake of the people when he could have gained everything. He could have gained the Abrahamic covenantal promise through his lineage alone. But he doesn't. He actually is exhibiting the character of Yahweh in this conversation the way that God would have him do it. He's starting to be in the image of Christ. Check this out. This is Danny Byram, Jesus Calls Us. Jesus calls us over the tumult of the sea. 
love me more Joys and sorrows Days of toil, hours of listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio. We're having so much good fun back here, even when uh, when the songs are playing and it, we're not on the air. We're, uh, we're, we're still having, we're having deep theological conversations. <laughs> Sometimes they've told me that the best it's radio really happens good. off air, so we're going to try and maybe ho- hopefully relive some of that on air. <laughs> anyway, we just want to do a shameless plug beforehand that we're going to do the code word coming up sometime soon, just so you know. Soon. And uh, when you hear it, you hang on to that code word. You call 0491-064-669. And if you're the first or the third, third caller, caller, you're going to receive a free copy of a book called Cave Caveman Theology, Theology mm. which follows the story of Doug Batchelor. Yeah, Doug Batchelor and the book of Isaiah as he's reading the book of Isaiah. Which I'm sure is going to involve a bit of his testimony mm. of coming to Christ while living in a cave in Southern California. Yeah. Super interesting story. You'll want to get your hands on that. You can also call in with your questions for our question of the week section at the end of the show, which is my favorite. So please call in and make my day because I drove all the way over here from Swansea so that I could do this radio show and I'd love to hear from you. That would help make it just that much more enjoyable. So you can do that by calling or texting 0491-064-669. Okay, we're back in Exodus 32, and um, we just wanted to make a couple of comments on, like, just continuing on. We needed more time to talk about it. Now we need even more time. There is a really profound thing that's happening, I think, here. It's not like God didn't see. Like, like sometimes when we talk about anger in a human way, we talk about anger as if it's someone who's lost control. But anger is not necessarily losing control. There's a difference between between having a reason and being upset and then losing control and doing something unmeasured and something over the top out of control in response to that feeling, right? And we as human beings, we, we tend to lack so much self-control that we equate anger with a loss of self-control. But that's not necessarily the case. Paul says, be angry but do not sin. 
Mm-hmm. Right? There are times where anger is an appropriate response to injustice. And if uh, there are times where if you're not angry in a situation, you're probably you're, there's probably something wrong with you, right? Like this is probably a an indicator that you're you're not healthy mentally or you're not thinking straight. And so here God is angry, but it's not like he was caught by surprise. No, he wasn't. He was. He wasn't caught by surprise. He's God, and he's on the top of the mountain, looking down. It's not. And not yeah, only is he on top of the mountain, but the Bible says there's nowhere we can flee from his presence. The darkness is as yeah. light to you. Psalm one thirty nine. God is already down there at the bottom with the people who are doing the wrong thing. Yeah. He watches the whole process. It's not a surprise to him. Mm. But what's really amazing is that the the books of Moses, the Torah, the first five books of Moses. There's a prophecy that says God will send a prophet like Moses to you. And my understanding, if I'm understanding that correctly, is that that's a prophecy about Jesus, who's going to come and be like Moses, in a sense. And in that sense, Moses is actually what's called typifying, or or being a uh, like a model or a pattern that points towards the real thing, like the shadow of the real thing, right, of Christ. And what we see here is that man needs an intercessor. He needs somebody to intermediate between him and God because God needs – not because God's angry and he hates his people. He wants to punish them all the time. No, absolutely not. He wants to save them. But the thing is God is perfectly just and perfectly merciful, and both of those things meet together. And so what we see here is an example of what Christ will do for humanity in the person of Moses. We see the character of Jesus demonstrated in Moses here because Jesus will become the intercessor. He will become the one who, who – who keeps the covenant, who comes in and does what humanity failed to do and covers them and defends us before the accusations that are put against us, right? This is a powerful and profound image. Anyway, never sounds as good when you talk about it on air after you've had the great thought in the middle. <laughs> but anyway, we hope that that's, that's fruitful. Okay. Yeah, we Let's keep that's... reading. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. We're in verse 15, and here we go. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand, the tablets were written on both sides, on one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Okay, pause just for one quick sec. I didn't. I don't think about this often, but <laughs> whenever you see a picture like an artist display of the Ten Commandments, it's never written on both sides. It's never because it's because you got to turn it then. Yeah, <laughs> it's two tablets. So next every to each picture other. you've ever seen it's of the a, Ten Commandments <laughs> is totally is, is drawn just, wrong. Yeah, it's just it's drawn wrong. <laughs> It's not a lie. It's just it's drawn wrong. Well, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's just not accurate. They've got in two tablets sense. instead of the one The Ten Commandments tablet. are still the Ten Commandments, okay. even if they're written on one it's side. <laughs> but anyway, but notice. Misrepresentation? Is that a bit but notice it's God who wrote it. God writes it with his own finger. Yes. The rest of the law, the rest of the Torah is written by Moses' hand. But this was written with God's finger. I love that. On both sides. Okay, and then he comes down. Check this out. Let's go to verse 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? All right, check this out. There is so much heavy stuff going on in this section. Point number one, and uh, this is 
This is the PG version of what's going on here that's not PG, probably. Some scholars suggest that when Moses, like this conversation, Joshua says it's the sound of war, right? War is a loud noise. Yeah. And he says that's not the sound of war. And the insinuation there that some scholars say is happening is that it's a euphemistic statement to say that what they were doing in dancing and participating was more than just dancing and singing, but that they were gauge, engaging in some sexually immoral practices. And some scholars suggest that that's what's going on there. Hebrew is a very euphemistic language. They don't speak very directly a lot of the time about some of these things. So it's really interesting. But when you think about that, that kind of highlights just how far they had gone backwards, right? Because if that's what's going on, they're they're doing all sorts of atrocities, really. And when you think about this, Moses comes back, and here's this people who's just made a promise to God that we're going to, You've saved us. You've set us free. We want to live this new life that you have for us and learn to be free. And he comes down. It's not been six weeks. He's just been away talking to God, having this amazing experience. And when he comes down, this is what the people are doing. And he comes to his brother who's been left in charge, and he makes he levels almost an accusation. He says, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And I've, I think this is a really powerful point for people in leadership, and I find this really confronting and convicting in leadership. Notice that Aaron is held with greater responsibility by Moses than the people. But it was the people's idea, Moses. Moses holds Aaron accountable because Aaron was the one who was supposed to be the voice of reason, the one who was supposed to draw them back to what God had just said. He's supposed to be the one who's willing to be faithful even if it costs him. But he yielded to the pressure of the people. And let this be a lesson to us. We should never yield to the pressure of people against the voice of God. People, you can have all of the of, of the praise and applause, and you can have all of the support for whatever it is, but if it is against what God has revealed, if it's against the voice of God, you can you can be popular now, but you won't be popular in the end, right? Because at the end, God is going to bring judgment upon all people, and we're going to reckon with those things, right? Like, I want to be able to stand before God at the end and say, I, I did my best, right? Not... I know I did the wrong thing here and I did it anyway, but the people were happy with me because at the end of the day, the people aren't the one who are who you've got to answer to, right? Jesus says, fear God. Don't fear the people who can do nothing to you. He says, fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell, right? Like the idea here is not to be terrified of God, but to keep God in his proper place. That at the end of the day, I answer to God and to what he says, not to anyone else. And so if those two things are ever in conflict, God is calling us to choose him over popularity, him over all consequences, him over whatever legal implications that may have. He says, choose him, him over everything else. When those two things are in conflict, he says, choose to be faithful to God because ultimately you don't answer to them. Nobody, nobody, you don't stand there in a crowd before God in the judgment. You stand there, you. And the question is, have I surrendered my heart to Jesus that he may wash me clean in his blood and save me? Or am I going to be trying to make a defense argument? This is Linda Shelton. It's all about God. Moses led God's people to the sea. Pharaoh's army followed fervently. It's not about me, it's not about me.
are listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio, and uh, our, we, we, we've got a code word today, and uh, that code word is compromise. 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 So compromise. if you would like to get your hands on that book, you can call 0491-064-669 or text, but you got to have that word, and I'm not repeating it again, so I hope you were listening. And uh, you can also send your word. questions in and the because we'd love to hear from you and after the news we're going to be going to our question of the week so please send us a question we'd love to hear from you and our question this week sorry not question our number is 0491-064-669 that's 0491-064-669 all right let's jump back in here so how's aaron going to respond to that accusation which is kind of like you know totally fair before we go on i've always wondered this why did they Grind down the calf. I have no idea. It's a great question. It's a powder and then put it in the water. I always thought that was weird. Is there something? I don't know. I, I'm, I, I have no idea the significance of that. But, okay. but it, what it reminds me of is there were times where my mom would make me eat soap. Uh, rinse my mouth out with soap. Okay. My guess is that what's going on here is he's making them participate in something that is defiling in a sense. Um, making them unclean or making them realize their uncleanness. I don't know. That's just a guess, by the way. I haven't read any theological statement on that. I have no idea. Okay. But it, it's a great question. Yeah. If you have an idea on the answer to that question, please let us know because I'd like to find out. Yeah. 
All right, let's let's keep reading. Verse 22. So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Ow! Oh. Well, don't add lying to your list of sins, Aaron. Mm. Right? You can just see human nature written all over this. This sounds just like the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It does. They made me do it. Let me shift the blame. But notice that this this kind of character is to be expected of slaves, right? In a sense. It doesn't justify it, by the way. You're not justified in doing wrong just because you didn't have the greatest circumstances. But you can understand a little bit more of... Man, these people were coming from this position, but then you got to counterbalance that with, yeah, but they saw more, they saw God do more than I have ever seen in my life or even heard stories of from other people that are living, right? Like they saw incredibly supernatural things. They had incredible privilege that we, that most people didn't get. And in that balance there, this is, this is human nature at its worst. It's just, this is what human nature does. So how's Moses going to respond to this? Because we've got a fair bit of text left to read in this chapter, so we're going to keep reading. Don't rush. It's okay. We've got time. Okay. 25. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Wow. Ooh. Nobody likes reading these passages, and I'll tell you one of the reasons, because it's it's hard it's hard to try and make sense of them in our Western world, yeah. because we live in a society that says all of these things are well, well not that says that, that all of these things are so far removed from us in a Western context, and our Western values are so so based on Judeo Christian values that even as a culture we find these things hard to read. But in that in the context of of when Moses is writing this, this is this is a nothing. Thing to the cultures around him, right? Which is interesting to note. But one of the reasons that I think we find this hard is because we have a hard time reconciling justice, right? Yeah. But when you think about what's going on here, there's there are some lessons that we can certainly draw from this. Point number one, they were given a second chance, right? Like, think about this. What did Moses just say to them? He starts off by saying, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. He says, here's a line in the sand. Who's on the Lord's side? And what has just happened is the the Levites, they come across and they say, we're on the Lord's side. We don't want to support what's going on here. Everybody else, it seems to me, had the opportunity to say, you know what? We're sorry. We repent. We're, we, we want to be on the Lord's side too. We don't want to participate in this. We were wrong. But you don't see that. Yeah. What you see is a lack of repentance. You see a lack of willingness to yield to the, the conviction of the Spirit. And when that happens... That's when this purging of the group takes place. And what's really interesting to note is there's sometimes 
and this is hard to do, by the way. I have no, I'm not, this is not easy. But there are times when you kind of actually have to root out things that are going to cause bigger problems, right? Does that make sense? And nobody likes doing this because we think, uh, you know, just uh, nobody wants to be the person who takes responsibility for that at times. But there are times where you have to get rid of the thing. For example, if you have, um, if you have, I'm just trying to think of a great thing. If you have, I'm trying to think of a disease that you could get in your arm that would, if it spreads, you got to get rid of it, right? Like, so think about cancer, for example. You got cancer. You got cancer and you've got cancer in some place, some organ in your body. And what do they do? They have to get rid of it because if they don't get rid of it, it spreads. And if if you get rid of it, you'll lose something. And that's unfortunate. But guess what? If you don't get rid of it, you lose everything. You lose your whole life. The whole body's gone. Jesus says it's better for you to lose your eye than for your whole body to be cast into Gehenna, which is the, the burning trash heap outside, to be destroyed is what he's saying. And so he's saying here that there are times where you kind of have to root out the problem that's unwilling to be resolved. Now, if you could do the treatment and everything was healed and all, you could save the organ and the body, great. That's even better. But Moses tried that already. Moses gave them opportunity to say, hey, we can repent. We can change. We can, we can admit our wrong. We can confess our guilt and come to God and seek for forgiveness, seek for reconciliation. But they did not. Only the Levites came across. And those others who were continuing to willfully participate in what they had agreed not to, they didn't want change. They didn't want to be forgiven. They didn't want to acknowledge their wrong. They didn't want to experience that. And they experienced destruction. Ultimately, that's really the, the thing that every human being is going to face. Do we, do we allow God to save us? Do we allow God to do that? Or do we not want that? Do we want to go the other way? Because there's no life apart from God. That's the natural consequence. The wages of sin is death. And this is not easy reading, but sometimes I think we should not shy away from things that are not easy reading because just because there is good news doesn't mean that there's not bad news. Does that make sense? Right? Because good news is only as good as the bad news is bad. You only hear good news if there's a bad situation and then something good comes out of it. We're all in a bad situation because we all deserve that. We have all participated in, in, in heinous things, and we just justify it because we see other people doing worse things than us. But that's not the way that God sees it. Like If you really want to see how good your life looks, compare your life to the life of Jesus Christ. And when you start seeing that and you start seeing what human life was made to look like, you realize, no, you're right. I, I, I have sinned. I am, I am guilty and I can't change it. And that's why I need a savior. But in order to be saved, you must humble yourself. You must be willing to acknowledge your need. And these people were unwilling to acknowledge that. They said, we don't want to be saved. We want, we want this. And the natural consequences that come with it are destruction. This is a parallel to that. All right, let's keep reading unless you've got some comments. Okay, you can just keep reading. <laughs> keep there was reading. dead silence. We can't have silence on radio. It's no good. You know. Sorry. Okay, where are we reading from? 30? 30. 30. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made themselves a god of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not... I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. 
So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. All right, and that's the end of the chapter. And there is not that much time to tell you this, but I think that the most powerful thing in this whole story is what happens in verse 32. And because this is a this is a type of Christ, a shadow pointing forward to what Jesus will do, Moses responds, he says, look, we have sinned. He makes confession for his people, and he says, yet now if you will forgive, forgive their sin. But if not, I pray, blot me out of the book. He says, take my life instead of theirs. Save them. And he associates himself with the people who have done wrong. Moses did no wrong in this circumstance. And just like that, Jesus did no wrong in our circumstance, but he associates with us. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. everyone, we're the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson, and you can join us every morning on The Breakfast Show. We cover news that matters and do our encounter with God. We also have an intense quiz, great giveaways, awe-inspiring music, and best of all, you can have your say and be a part of the Brecky family. We're live across Australia, so check your Faith FM program for your local airtime. Did you know that 80% of Faith FM's operating budget comes from supporters like you? It takes 700 people just like you giving just a dollar a day to keep us running. Visit faithfm.com.au slash donate and partner with Faith FM today. And for just a dollar a day, together, we can reach Australia with life-changing messages of hope. Never failing fire. 
with God can answer in my fray. So purer light shall mark the road that leads me to the land. You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and I'm wondering, Tash, do you know what time it is? It's oh, question of the week. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's time for question of the week, and our question today is: How do we determine truth? Ooh, that what? is a awesome question. What a big question! A big question. Awesome. And Robbie's going to answer it. <laughs> Am I? Okay, so we were talking off air not, about I'm it a little expert. bit. He's, I'm no expert. Come on. You're just more knowledgeable. <laughs> That's not necessarily true at all. Um, oh, where is, how do we know what truth is? Is that the question? How do we determine truth? How do we determine like, truth? Like, let's be honest. This is a super pertinent question. It is. Um, in the last couple of years, there's been so much debate about what's true, what's false. Uh, you've got accusations of false news. You've got accusations of censorship. You've got all sorts of stuff that's been all over the media. The question of how to determine truth is something that's super relevant to our lives. And some people would say, uh, it's just your truth matters to you and my truth matters to me. So so how do we determine what's actually real and factual? Yeah. I guess it's a fair question. It's a fair question. And you're right. People people think that truth is relative. Yeah. So now, now, there are some things that are relative, but not all things are relative. Yeah. Right? Like gravity is what gravity is. Yeah. What, what goes up must come down. Right, like there, there yeah. are things that are, are objective. So yeah. how do we determine truth? And I think that the indication here is, is probably in a spiritual application. Um, but how do we determine truth? Do you have any thoughts? Well, the text that always comes to mind is when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, so John fourteen six. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what comes to mind. Awesome. I'm reminded of another another thing that Jesus says on this topic, and it's it's in John chapter eight, the Gospel of John in the New Testament, and he says in John chapter eight, verse thirty-one onwards, it says, "Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." And I think this is a really important point because Jesus is indicating. That truth is important. Um, speaking the truth in love, I think it is that Paul says. Um, there's there's this emphasis, right? We we want to speak what is true. I don't want to believe a lie. There's there's important reason to 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 base things in reality. He then goes on, and they they have a question to him. Oh, we're Abraham's descendants. How can you say we've 
that we, we will be made free, etc., etc. And he finishes it off by saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave doesn't abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And so there's this connection of Jesus being the word. Jesus then, therefore, is the truth. Um, God's word is truth, right? Jesus says in John seventeen seventeen, I think it is, Your word, Father, is truth and his prayer. And there's this emphasis that, that, that God's word is true. God's word is truth. Now, this doesn't necessarily answer every question that we will ever come across with determining truth, right? Like, it doesn't teach us how to do all of our math. It doesn't teach us about everything that we might need to know about grammar or whatever. Like, like obviously, the principles are here for the biggest, most important things. But I think that there's also a really a really helpful point in that because you might then also say, okay, well, it's easy to just say, yeah, well, just read what the Bible says. But then why is there so much disharmony among people who, uh, who proclaim to seek the Bible as their source of truth? For example, I'm a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we would say that the only creed that we have is the Bible, right? That's what we would say, um, that our beliefs, our understandings are are from Scripture. But then again— how many other Christian denominations that don't hold exactly the same views as the Seventh-day Adventist Church, how would they say? Well, they would also say that we believe that what we're doing is from the Bible, right? at least Protestant churches. Um, so, so how do we determine truth if there seems to be so much disharmony? And this is where I think, I think there's a bit of a journey involved in this. And there's, a, there's a, really, a really neat passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 28, in in Isaiah 28, there's this prophecy. I mean, if you want to hear more about that, make sure you call in with that code word that we said before. Psst, compromise was the code word. Um, you can call 0491064669. First and third caller will get that free copy of that book that deals with Isaiah. But here's the point. In this, there's a prophecy speaking woe to Ephraim and Jerusalem. And in this, there's a there's a very valuable principle for how to determine truth. And this is this is talking about determining truth within Scripture itself, right? How do we rightly understand what is true in Scripture? Because there are lots of hotly debated topics about what is the Bible really talking about with regards to this ethical question or that ethical question or this. And there, in, in Isaiah 28, verse 9, God says this, Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those who just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from the breasts? In other words, indicating people who are who are, are, are not knowledgeable, ignorant, new, fresh, babies, right? And then he says this, this line in verse 10. He says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And what's really interesting to think about there is that children learn little by little, little by little, little by little, here a little, there a little, here or there, like, and you compare it to what you've learned already. So there's an indication that... To, to determine truth is a journey. It's a process where you're going to be continuing to learn. Some truths are deeper. For example, when you learn, when you learn about you know biology in school, or you know you learned about science about clouds. Let's talk about clouds, for example. You learn about the science of the clouds or the states of matter, and you find out in primary school there's three states of matter. And then you get into high school and you learn, uh oh, there's also plasma. And then you get up and you're starting to study this sciences in university. Uh oh, you're learning there's more states of matter than you thought there were. Now, that doesn't make what you learned before untrue. It's just you're learning a greater depth of it. It's still based in the same reality, based in the same principle. And I think that's what's going on here. You're going to learn more truth. You're going to learn a greater understanding of truth by doing what? By comparing precept to precept, line of Scripture to line of Scripture. As we study Scripture holistically, 
we're going to learn things and we're going to figure out, oh, I misunderstood something there, or this has greater depth or greater meaning. As we compare Scripture with Scripture, we learn more truth. But here's the point. He goes on and he says, For with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to this people, which is a direct allusion to 1 Corinthians 14, where, where the Apostle Paul is talking about speaking with other languages, right? Because the Holy Spirit gave them a gift to speak in other languages, that Gentiles were coming in and speaking other languages, and they were teaching the Jews the gospel. You've got the Gentiles speaking with the, the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking in different languages, and they're hearing the good news as if they're infants from other people who are uneducated. You, you seeing that connection? And then he goes on and he says some, some, some stuff. This is refreshing. They would not hear. He repeats himself, precept upon precept, line upon line. And he goes on to talk about this. And there's one other thing I'd like to highlight here. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Let me repeat myself. This is not good enough just to have an academic reading of Scripture. If you really want to know the truth, you can't ask it like Pilate. What is truth? Then Pilate washes his hands clean of Jesus' blood, but he can't wash it clean for real. He walks away, and we know that eventually he dies, and I'm pretty sure if from memory he commits suicide. He doesn't know how to deal with this because you can't just wash it clean metaphorically. You have to, you have to really think about applying truth, right? It's not good enough just to, just to know the, the Scripture up against the Scripture, but then what are we going to do in response to it? Because God says it's about hearing and hearing in the Hebrew mind is linked to doing. So when we compare Scripture with Scripture, we learn and we allow God to work it into our real life. If you want to really know truth, you got to be willing to put it into practice. Up there on the brink, reached and took in my first drink, and I knew I would never be the same. For my sickness, I had found a cure, and one thing I knew for sure it was as pure as the source from which it came. From the river, I drank for many years. I wondered how it journeyed here And earnestly set out to know its route I found that from the mouth of the river down Upon its banks and all around There was life along this river of truth From the prophets to the ready scribe The steady flow of truth grew wide Blessings from the river mounted high But in time its banks they would neglect Its pure precepts they'd reject Soon they found the river had run dry What they like the prophets had proclaimed The source of the river came And lived his life among them from his youth the living truth they soon denied Nailed him to a cross and pierced his side But it opened wide a new river Come and drink from the fountain Flowing down from heaven's mountain Pure and free 
To real faith with Robbie and Tash. Yeah, you said Robbie and Tash. I, I was going to change it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's hard to break habits, isn't it? It is. Even good habits, you know. <laughs> but we can change. Remember what we were talking about earlier? Yeah, that's right. We'll fumble for a bit, but we'll change. <laughs> awesome. So I don't know about you, but I've actually really enjoyed this this little Bible study. It did. Um, it, could, it went really quickly for me. There's today. There, there was a lot in this chapter that. I just didn't remember being in the chapter. There was just a lot of cool insights that I think are really profound that are really poignant for me personally. And uh, this has come the time of the show where we do our application. So like we were just talking about in the question of the week, the reality is if we want to really know more, then we got to be willing to respond to it. Because if you don't respond, you won't learn more. Like why would, why should, why should I entrust you with more if you're not going to be faithful with what you've already been entrusted? You know what I mean? Like, I don't. I, you don't get more privileges if you didn't follow already mm. in, in, a, in a family. And I think it's a kind of the similar way when you're growing, when you're learning. So if we really want God to reveal more truth to us, then we need to respond to the truth that he's already revealed. And um, God is a rewarder of those who seek him. So there's, there's great promise in that. He says, if you seek me, I will let you find me. 
Jeremiah 29, 13. When you seek me with your whole heart, I will let you find me. Um, so what can we draw from this, this to apply to our real life? What do we got? What can oh. we draw from this? Just pick one. Just go. Do compromise. It. I know that was... That's when we're going to take away from it. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to compromise. No, but I don't... But no. I'm just saying... <laughs> but what, what, what do we compromise? What we do... What do we just like... Oh, no. Oh, oh. And then before you know it, it's too late. You're too far in. Mm. Yeah. And I think if, we, if we're not compromising right from the beginning, then we're not having to make those... Yeah. So the lesson we can take is don't compromise. Yeah. Choose choose to be faithful to what God says yeah. rather than to pleasing the people if those two things are not in agreement. Now, by the way, if if what God says is in agreement with the people and they'll be pleased by that, great. I wish it was always like that. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but when those things are in, in conflict, don't compromise on, on being faithful to what God is calling you to do for the sake of pleasing the people yeah. or for the sake of perceived success because it will catch you out in the end. Yeah, and and sometimes as well because the louder noise, the you know, is the 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 voice that you can hear the most is what you think is right, but it actually isn't. So necessarily, necessarily, sometimes, I mean, sometimes this, the loudest yeah. voice can be right. But I mean, in this situation, it was it was yeah, they were there in front of him and saying all these things, and and he it wasn't just crumbled, he mm. he allowed it, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which totally, is, it was just sad. Um, another thing. Um, Ooh, let me share one. Oh, oh. oh, I got one. I got one. I want to share. Okay. Um, you go. Calling something by God's name doesn't make it God, Ooh. right? So they take the calf, they make the calf, they they declare it. This is your God, and it sounds. He said he it said he proclaimed a feast to Yahweh. He used the right name, but it wasn't really God. And sometimes we fall into the trap. All of us, and I'm going to put myself out here on the line. I have done this, I'm sure, and I pray that God would lead me to not do this, where we try and mold God into the image of what we want to worship rather than allowing God to reveal himself clearly and worshiping him for who he is. We, we don't get to make God in our image. God is who he is. That's, that's the name he says. He says to Abraham or to, to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you, right? I am who I am. He's not changing. He's not like we don't just mold him into an image and that's all oh, that's that's God. No, that that might be our picture, but our picture is imperfect. What we want to do is see the picture clearly. We were supposed to be made in God's image, not the other way around. Mm. And just just because we're calling it by the name of Jesus doesn't mean it's it's actually Jesus. So let's be careful that we don't misrepresent Jesus by making him in our image. Ooh. That man, you could apply that to so many different things, and oh, um, well, I and like you said earlier about um, some of the profound things that we got out of this text. Um, one that's really stood out for me is um, just the leadership of Moses, mm-hmm. because he he actually took he wanted to take responsibility for the people. Even Woo! he was yeah. responsibility that. That it's, is what leadership is. And responsibility. That's what, that's what, that's what being a man is too, by the way. That's that's what manlyhood is all about. Responsibility. <laughs> Not pleasure and joy and, and relaxation. It's actually about responsibility. It's, it's I find that about, a challenge. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Definitely. 100%. It'll be a challenge for you. And it's also a challenge in any role that you have, not just That's right. Man, I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm a man. So that's why I'm thinking of it specifically. I'm just calling men out. Calling you out, men that are listening. <laughs> That's right. But it's applicable to everyone. Yeah, no, it's definitely applicable responsibility to Responsibility is, is a mark yeah. of leadership. Responsibility is a mark of leadership and the fact that he would he would say to God, I, I would rather they go than me be there. 
I would rather that even though they were bad and all this stuff happened, I would I would yeah, blot me out. Yeah, blot right? me out. If you can't forgive them, blot me Just out of your book. Just blot me out. Isn't that amazing? Oh, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying yeah. forgiveness has been bought for these folks. Otherwise, blot me out. And Jesus takes our, our penalty. He takes our natural outflow of sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus takes death on our behalf so that we might be forgiven. And oh, it's just beautiful. There's so much beauty in that. Oh, Powerful. That's the gospel right there. Boom. This is the gospel right here. And so we see in it played Exodus, out in Moses' guys, life. The, the gospel was in Exodus. That's right. And by the way, I just read this last week, I think. it was in. I think it's in Hebrews 4 from memory. But anyway, Paul writes that the gospel was preached to the Israelites in the wilderness. Boom. 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 Anyway, um, another point. That's a great point, I think, that you've made, Tash. Um, one that, that was really struck, stuck out to me today was how Aaron... Aaron depended too much upon Moses for his walk with God and for his ability to be a leader um, for God, right? A leader of God's people. He was dependent. His relationship with God was vicarious. It was. I'm not saying that's all it was, but you can't have vicarious relationships in a marriage, and you can't have vicarious relationship with God. Nothing accounts for you being connected to Jesus. If you're in a position of Christian leadership, you can't be like, oh man, but I read all those books and uh, I had all those great lecturers and oh, I had all that, all those great preachers and pastors who, no, 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 you got to be connected to Jesus yourself because you can't live vicariously in the, in the Christian walk. And that doesn't just apply to leadership. That applies to everybody. Nothing counts like experience. Nothing makes up for having your own personal walk with Jesus. You could listen to this radio show a million times and get all sorts of great insights, but it's not the same as you picking up the Bible and listening to the Holy Spirit speak to you from his own word. So you need to have a relationship with Jesus for yourself, and he invites you for that. He says, I have made you and I've called you by name. You're mine. So take that with you as you go. And remember, my friends, real faith is live faith. faith.